Welcome to another episode of the Haver Show podcast. The trade deadline is coming up and there's no better guest to break it all down than Nate Duncan, who Wired.com once called the king of the NBA nerds. He's a salary cap guru and the host of the Dunked On podcast, which is a must listen for any hardcore NBA fan. If you want to sound smart with your friends and family when it comes to the trade deadline stuff, you got to know Nate, who can be found on Twitter at Nate Duncan, N-A-T-E, D-U-N-C-A-N-N-B-A. I should know as a Wake Forest guy how to spell Duncan. Anyway, before we begin, a little bit of a disclaimer. We taped this on a Thursday afternoon before the stunning Chris Stapps Porzingis trade to the Mavs. I was on a run three miles from my house. That's definitely a brag. Phone call interrupted my music uh, from my big number producer, Jade Hoy, and he informed me of the news. KP is out of the Knicks organization. So I hopped in an Uber, came home, and started this update. So what do I think? The Mavs made a huge gamble here, but I wouldn't trust the rumblings that Kristaps Porzingis is about to take the qualifying offer from the Mavs. I mean, come on. The QO would mean he'd make just $4.5 million next season, and then he would become an unrestricted free agent in 2020. But the Mavs are likely to max him out this summer to the tune of over $100 million. He's coming off an ACL tear, one of the most devastating injuries for an NBA player. And he has a chance to play next to a generational talent in Luka Doncic. Of course, this is a worthy risk for Dallas. Porzingis can be an MVP in this league. And Dennis Smith, he could be an all-star. So as for the rest of the league, this definitely raises the chances that Davis awkwardly sits out the rest of the season and we have a Le'Veon Bell situation on our hands. Because it's doubtful that the Pelicans lay down and take the Lakers offer. You have lots of history with the Lakers and the rest of the league. Dell Demps comes from the San Antonio Spurs franchise. And you remember how Greg Popovich handled the Kawhi Leonard situation. He wanted to go to L.A. and he spun him to Toronto. So anyway, uh, with all that throat clearing out of the way, Remember, we taped this before the KP trade to Dallas. Uh, we do discuss Mike Conley, Marcus Saul, Kevin Love, CJ McCollum, what Dame Lillard's future in Portland looks like. Uh, we get into lots of other fun stuff, the Houston Rockets included. So this makes for an interesting listen anyway, and not just because of what you could have learned, what the best situation for the Pelicans was with the KP trade that never was. Anyway, without further ado, let's get on to the Haber Show with Nate Duncan. Welcome to the Haber Show, Nate Duncan. What's going on, my man? Doing great. Just getting ready for the trade deadline. This has been uh, <laughs> quite a ton of, of intrigue here so far. I'm looking forward to talking about it. Well, you did an amazing job. One of the great tent poles of the NBA season is the trade deadline. And there's no better person to talk about the trade deadline than someone who actually just did it a few days ago. In the mock trade deadline on the Dunked On podcast, you had yourself, Danny LaRue from The Athletic and Dunked On podcast. You also had Kevin Pelton from ESPN. And then my colleague, Dan Feldman, all role-playing. The four of you were role-playing, acting as a GM for all 30 teams. So you divvied up the, the 30 teams. You represented probably what? Uh, I'm trying to do the math in my head. Seven, eight teams. And then you deal and you bring up names and you see if there's a deal to be had. And if you haven't listened to that already, tell people where they can find that episode or two episodes. It was a two parter. Yeah, it was. It's just the link is right in my Twitter bio at Nate Duncan NBA. You can find that. And yeah, that's always fun to do. I love the phrase tent pull. It's yes, without 
without this podcast, the NBA season would just collapse to the ground. <laughs> it would just, there might still be something there. You'd see like the outline of some bodies on, on the ground as the tent fell on top of them. But no, it, it just wouldn't be even close to the same, I'm sure, right? Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, I think it goes to the whole thing of the NBA season is so crazy um, or just the transactions. And I think your rise um, going from being a lawyer uh, to becoming a prominent voice in the NBA world is a direct result of people just being so into the off court soap opera. And hey, can this deal actually work? Or, you know, would that team actually be interested in Brandon Ingram? Um, those are the types of questions that uh, you guys raise on the podcast. Uh, two-parter, again, you have to listen to that. Um, it is not just really, really cool to listen to you guys like spontaneously, instantaneously uh, come up with all these trades, but it brings a lot of rational thought to a very irrational at times period of time where all these trade rumors are flying. Anthony Davis is on the block. So is Marcus Saul. So is Mike Conley. And going into that episode, Nate, I was like, eh, I'm sure they'll probably settle on the, fi- the fact that the Boston Celtics have the best trade package for Anthony Davis, and that's that. But you came out of that episode with something I thought was super compelling, which is the Knicks might have the best and most reasonable trade opportunity for Anthony Davis. Well, I think the big issue with Boston, and I don't know if this is what's actually going to happen in real life, which is it's really hard to say, hey, we're going to have a, the best deal in the summer and really make any kind of a promise. Now there's just too much time. If you want to say, Oh, you know, we we'd consider putting Jason Tatum in the deal. It'd be illegal to explicitly promise that and have a trade worked out this far in advance. But number two, there's just too much time. Like what if Jason Tatum scores 30 points a game in the playoffs and Boston wins the championship? Or what if Jason Tatum gets injured and misses the rest of the yep. season or, or you know, or what if uh, Jalen Brown would have been in there and he gets injured or something? There's just too much time and too much uncertainty. So it's a really difficult dance for Boston. And it sounds like they're navigating this pretty well, given in concert with some Lakers angst with the Pelicans to getting the Pelicans to wait and just assume that the best package will be forthcoming. But I mean, there's so much intrigue now with AD and the Lakers and Rich Paul all trying to say, oh, you know, we're not going to re-sign places. And, oh, Kyrie Irving might leave and might want to play with LeBron. I wonder who that's coming from. Probably, <laughs> probably LeBron because they had this much publicized reconciliation. I mean, these guys are, are smart to try all this. But the biggest thing that came out to me is just how much uncertainty there really is, number one. And then number two, just how the Lakers package just is not that good. I mean, that, no. that's what this all comes down to, right? If they actually could put together the best package, they could trade for it. And that's how it's supposed to work, right? You're supposed to, when you trade for a guy, you're supposed to be able to say, well, we have the best package. That's why you want to trade him. Not, Oh, he's not going to resign these places and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, you want to have the best package assets to entice the other team. And that's why the guy gets traded. Uh, and so it seems to right. me if he doesn't go to the Lakers, that's, that would be why. So there's this other thing that I feel like people are making a big deal about the Lakers and how he wants to go to the Lakers. And, and you mentioned the whole re-signing, like Rich Paul, the agent for Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Like he's trying to steer. It seems every way possible. He's trying to say, I want him to go to the Lakers without actually saying that. Like if you read the latest report from ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski and Zach Lowe with assistance from Brian Winhurst, that's quite the three headed monster, by the way. Yeah. They all but say 
that the trade destination is for the Lakers, right? That he wants to be traded for the Lakers. And what's interesting, I think, about this is the last three times that a star has made a trade demand, it has, like, to a specific team or teams, it hasn't worked out in terms of getting to that place. So these trade destinations for Jimmy Butler in September 19th, it was reported by Woj that uh, he wanted to go to the Nets, Clippers, and Knicks. Two months later, he was traded to Philly. Paul George, it was reported he wanted to go to the Lakers. In June 18th, July 6th, he was traded to Oklahoma City. Kawhi Leonard, June 15th, it was reported he wanted to go to the Lakers and the Clippers. And then a month later, he was traded to the Raptors. So this trade destination, A, it doesn't always work out that way with stars. And B, the Lakers simply, objectively, do not have the best trade package uh on the table that like the possible trade package on the table simply isn't all that interesting to me. Yeah, I think that's right. And that's certainly has to be a disappointment for a team that had three straight number two overall picks. I mean, what is it about the NBA? I mean, is you got to have either a superstar or a chance at a superstar. That's what this league runs on. And the Lakers package first round draft picks in the future, if the team's going to be decent, the guys they currently have on the roster I think just doesn't have a realistic chance at a superstar. You know, Lonzo Ball is disappointed. Ingram, there's still some potential there. He's still very young, but, you know, certainly. Did you see KP's comps for him? Yes, I did. Andrew Wiggins and just a bunch of kind of high volume kind of chucker types. I think like DeMar DeRozan was the best of those. And DeMar DeRozan, Jeff Green, Andrew Wiggins. There are a couple more in there, but it's basically the same profile of like the high volume athletes, high, high draft picks. And just hopefully they'll they'll athletes who don't actually athlete. I think is, is, is kind of part of that, right? Who, who you don't actually, you don't actually see evidence of their athleticism in, in the floor game on the court. I think that's a, a yes. big part of it. Let's go through the Knicks. Like, what is the proposal that you think would get this done? Well, I'm not sure if it would get it done. I mean, I think the issue that we ran into in our simulation was that Boston wasn't able to really convince the Pelicans that the offer they wanted would be there. But I think clearly the Knicks, as of right now, if you're limiting it to he's got to get moved before the trade deadline could put together the best package and Chris Stapp's Porzingis would be a part of that. Now, of course, he's got the health issues. He's got that hasn't even played it all this year. Uh, that's as of right now. And then they could throw in their first round pick this year, maybe some first rounders uh, going into the future as well. If they wanted to Mitchell Robinson is probably the only one of their young guys. I guess Knox too would eh, be the other yeah, one that, yeah. that has some value. I think Knox probably has more value in the league than uh us dorky quants would give him it at the moment. <laughs> Although I'm probably giving myself too much credit by calling myself a quant. But wait, wait, uh, wait but I yeah. believe the there was a wired profile of you that said you're the king of the NBA nerds. Is that fair <laughs> to say? I guess that's true. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I wouldn't put myself in your category because I'm not actually like doing real analytics work and like, you know, I, the way you have and, and, you know, so many other guys have. But but anyway, that's uh, aside. So that, I think, is the best package that could be assembled right now. The problem the Knicks run into is actually a similar one to the Lakers in that this summer, Porzingis can't really be in a deal. That article you referenced reported that Porzingis will not want to do a sign-and-trade to New Orleans. That's no big shock there. Mm -hmm. And so he's going to be a restrictive agent. The Knicks won't actually have control over him. So this is really the last point at which he can be traded. And also for Porzingis— this is the last point he could be traded and then eventually get a designated player extension where he wanted to be. Because once you get past four years, if you get traded, you're ineligible 
for that. So that's a little bit of a, a part of that too. So, but I think that first round pick in Porzingis, I mean, that gives you in theory two chances at a big star mm-hmm. and the Lakers offer gives you zero. So now would that offer be on the table? Is that enough to entice New Orleans to wait for Boston? Would there be any protection on that first round pick? I mean, we saw the last high pick that got traded had top one protection in that Fultz Tatum deal. Yep. So there's a little bit of a precedent for that. W- would New Orleans be interested in that package if it's not, if it is top one protected? Those are all questions that are difficult to answer. I think in real life, this is why they're waiting for the Celtics because there isn't that overwhelming offer right now. And, you know, yeah, you can't commit to exactly what it's going to be, but the Celtics still would need to offer enough to beat a Lakers package in the summer. So why not just do it now? So my thing is, and you hit this a little bit on the on the mock trade deadline podcast, was this is the deal that I, I have a column coming out with five trades I want to see. One of them is Porzingis, Knox, Hardaway, and the 2019 first round pick from the Knicks, top one protected for Anthony Davis. Um, and the, the basic deal uh, is what you guys suggested in in your mock trade deadline. And one of the reasons why I don't think this is getting enough coverage, but one of the reasons why I think that's a really good deal for New Orleans is their ability to tank. And I think people don't quite understand how the new uh, draft lottery rules and how it's flattened out. It actually incentivizes the Pelicans to go from 11th, the the 11th slot in the draft lottery right now to the sixth. Like doing that is going to be huge um, for them. And so Kevin Knox is a great opportunity. He's he's 19. He's barely 19. Um, so acquiring him will give them an opportunity to tank. Uh, acquiring Chris Stapps-Pazingas is going to help them tank. And the other thing here is moving Anthony Davis now makes them a worse team, right? If, if Anthony Davis stays, he's really good at basketball. <laughs> so if you hold on and wait until Anthony Davis... Uh, you know, this summer when he can be traded to the Boston Celtics. If you wait for the Celtics trade package, you're going to get into a really awkward Le'Veon Bell situation where you're going to have to sit your best star for the rest of the season. That is probably the best thing for both sides is that he sits, but it's an ugly look for the league. And you can just totally skirt that whole situation by making the deal for the Knicks, because I think that number six slot in the draft is very gettable for the New Orleans Pelicans. They might have some competition for Memphis in that regard. <laughs> yes, yes, especially when they lose to the to the Minnesota Timberwolves last night. Memphis is going to have a lot of incentive to get to that that six slot as well. But we'll see what happens with Mike Conley and Marcus Hall. We can hit that later. But um, the the package that I suggested is the Knicks. Uh, I think it, it checks a lot of boxes. And I I want to talk to you about this thing, which is how amazing is it that we have Kyrie Irving, which I'm told is the biggest reason why the Celtics feel confident that that's where he wants to go. That Anthony Davis loves playing with Kyrie Irving. Uh, They're both Nike guys. They have that background. Anthony Davis wants to play with Kyrie Irving. And that is the reason I'm told that the Celtics feel very confident that Anthony Davis wants to go to Boston. However... I imagine it going like this. I imagine, hey, uh, we'd like to make a trade offer for uh, for Anthony Davis. Here's the deal. And by the way, listen to who I have on the phone, uh, Kyrie. Um, you want to hop on the phone and say hello to Anthony? Kyrie, where, where'd you go? Kyrie? And Kyrie has <laughs> taken leave, gotten on a, a plane or a shuttle to New York City and decided to go to New York instead to go play with Anthony Davis. So the, the idea 
of Kyrie Irving being the star recruiter or the best chance at getting Anthony Davis is so much more interesting because he's a free agent. He could be a free agent this summer. And the fact that the Knicks could just trade for Anthony Davis now and then really test it. Do you really want to play with Kyrie Irving or do you really want to play with Boston? And that is a huge, intriguing storyline to this. Yeah. And I mean, for the Knicks, who knows? I don't know if that offer has been put on the table that we're talking about. That is a big risk for potentially a year and a half of AD if they don't know that someone is going there in the summer. Ethan Strauss made this point yesterday that if they, the Knicks do throw in the kitchen sink to get AD, that might mean that they know that Kevin Durant is coming in the offseason. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, I mean, KD and, and AD would be a, an awesome combination. Getting Kyrie, KD, and AD, that would be very difficult under the cap math. Yeah, can you walk me through that? Like, what are the what are the issues with that thinking? Well, so as of right now, we can start here. The Knicks have twenty seven point nine million in space or so. If you if they move their draft pick, and they move Porzingis, who has a seventeen million dollar cap hold, now they'd be at about fifty two million dollars in space. Now you're you're bringing back AD. You know, he's in the $30 million range now, a little bit under, I think, about $20 million for next year. So now you're only at $24 million in space to sign a free agent. And only salaries on the books besides AD at that point. You got Tim Hardaway Jr. at 18, and Frank Nielkin and Kevin Knox make a, about nine combined. So the Knicks would either need to find a taker for Hardaway or lead those. Both those guys, I think you let's agree, assume, Tom, are, are not great they, salary. They make that trade. Let's assume they make yeah. the trade for AD now. And so Hardaway's yeah. off the books. Knox is off the books. And okay, so, so Hardaway and Knox are in are in the trade. Yes, so let's say uh, Del so, Demps but that, gets... That's tough, though. I mean, that Hardaway has two more years after this one at pretty bad salary. You know, you're, you're kind of... You're diluting the value that the Pelicans are getting by including him in the deal. But we'll, we'll make that assumption. But just to make it clear, I don't think it's fate accompli that Hardaway would be in that deal necessarily because he, you know, that's a bad seller the Pelicans would have to take back. So yeah, that would leave us then if Knox is in there too. Now the Knicks would have still only really about uh, 45 million in space. If they could just find a way to trade away Courtney, Courtney Lee, Lee. Yep. that gets you up to 57 million, still not enough for max slots about 70 million or so. And when you throw an AD as well, you're just the Lakers would run into this problem as well. The cap just isn't high enough for three superstars on either 30 or 35 percent max contracts. Like you just cannot fit that in, especially because the Knicks have this stretch of Joakim Noah, who's uh, six point four million on their books. So this is this is fascinating because you also have the New Orleans Pelicans, which are the smallest market in the league um, right there with Memphis. And the sharks are swirling. Like my, I love. Do you watch Shark Tank by chance? Uh, I've watched like two episodes. Okay, okay. Shark Tank is awesome, especially when um, the entrepreneur comes in <laughs> and the sharks all are bidding. Like Mark Cuban is a shark on Shark Tank, and um, O'Leary, Kevin O'Leary, uh, it's like three or four of the sharks are actually bidding with each other. It's amazing TV. In this circumstance, you have the New Orleans Pelicans, which are the smallest market, the little the little guy, uh, the Cinderella team, the underdog, who are getting chased around by the sharks of the Lakers, the Celtics, and the Knicks potentially. Right? This is really fascinating stuff, and. Alvin Gentry at the press conference 
or after the game, he was asked uh, some questions and he went on this rant about how Gail Benson, uh, who's the the owner of the um, the New Orleans Pelicans, also the owner of the, the New Orleans Saints. He was asked, like, you know, uh, how do you feel about the organization and all this? And he just goes on a rant about how uh, there was a report from The Athletic that it was uh, there was a concern within D- Anthony Davis's camp that it wasn't necessarily a priority for ownership. The Pelicans being a priority for the ownership when they're also dealing with the Saints. And he was like, listen, Mrs. B, as he called her, Mrs. B is a great owner. How can you say that she's not prioritizing the Pelicans when she went to Portland last year and got on a plane and flew to Portland and then got on a plane to go see her horse at the Kentucky Derby and then came back here? How can you say that she she doesn't have a commitment to the Pelicans (laughs) when she went to uh, Portland to watch us play? And I'm like, what? What is like of all the things you could point to with a very committed ownership, you point to that she went to your playoff game once and then went to code to the derby so i looked this up nate the derby was may 5th last year the pelicans portland series ended on april 21st so what he's saying is that gail benson is a great owner because she went to the portland game and then flew to the kentucky derby uh within the next two weeks to go see her horse and then came back to new orleans like this is this is amazing in of itself but then you have the backdrop of the pelicans who are also owned by the, you know, the Saints ownership, right? They got bounced by the Los Angeles Rams. There already is a Los Angeles bias here or do not capitulate to the Lakers demands or Rich Paul's demands and move him to the Lakers. And they're in the report by Adrian Wojnarowski and, and Zach Lowe and Brian Winhurst of ESPN. They said that Dell Demps is returning calls except for the Lakers. This is delicious. To defend Alvin, he's in a completely impossible position impossible. right now. I mean, he's he's got to placate, you know, the people who pay his salary. He's probably like, frankly, the, that's one of those doth protest too much answers where you just, you know, what else can you say? And, and it, it's too bad. You'll see these coaches sometimes too. the guys who like, you know, actually, if you know them in real life, they're kind of like sardonic and, and honest. Like Dave Yeager did this when he declared uh, Art Bagley and Fox, the Nest Westbrook and Durant, where it's like they're too honest sometimes. And then they're like, all right, well, I better just like completely yo-yo back the other way. And then they're totally over the top uh, defending the organization. But but anyway, that that ancillary, I mean, I think, you know, that could just be a tactic of, hey, Lakers, you better throw in the kitchen sink. I mean, you know, three first round draft picks and all of your young guys and blah, 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 uh, if you really want them now. But again, I mean, I think the other thing that's so interesting here is. Rich Paul and you know AD are what they're essentially doing by saying we'll only play for the Lakers is they are trying to reduce other teams' offers to the point where the Lakers offer looks the most attractive, right? They're trying to say, yes. hey, let's not don't trade for me because you're only getting me for a year and a half. So it's not worth it for you to throw in a ton of assets. Your offer now will be worse, and now the Lakers offer looks better and they have to trade him to the Lakers. Like that's what their hope is right now, but that's not really a great card to play because I don't think the bluff is going to work on either the Pels or these other organizations because the bluff is, Hey, a year and a half from now, the Lakers are going to sign me in free agency when LeBron is 35 and 36. And I'm willing to just, you know, punt these next two years and go to the Lakers and, and restart, even though like, I mean, I think 
if a team trades for him, if you can reasonably say, yeah, we're going to have a better situation for winning than the Lakers with soon to be 36 year old LeBron and a gutted roster because you had to keep the cap space open in two years, then you're going to still trade for him. You know, you're still going to put in those assets and believe that you have a, a good chance if everything goes right. Right. And it's also, hey, look at what happened with Paul George. He tried to steer his way or said, and not just through reporters, but he, after the fact, said, like, I really wanted to go to the Lakers. Like, I really wanted to play for them. Real quickly, Paul George, his actually deciding to stay in OKC and, like, not even giving the Lakers a meeting, number one, that really screwed over the Lakers for the future. Yep. I mean, number one, by not having it. But number two, because now these teams, I mean, we saw it with Kawhi, these teams are emboldened like, oh, yeah, maybe these guys, maybe we really can convince them. You know, it's like if Paul George had just gone to the Lakers at the in free agency last year, like everyone expected a year prior, then these teams would be so much where I mean, it, you know, you, you caution the idea of relying on a sample size of one here. But I mean, you know, when things happen in the NBA, like like any other league, it's a copycat league. And so other it just makes other teams more interested in doing that same thing. So, you know, the conventional wisdom used to be, okay, you can't trade for the guy he's going to leave or you got to get something for him right now. You have to trade him right now. Uh, but, you know, I think teams are, are emboldened by the way that whole George situation played out. What do you think about this Kyrie rule, the designated player extension that prohibits the Boston Celtics from acquiring Anthony Davis right now. As someone who studies the cap and studies the CBA language, is this a necessary quirk in the CBA? And do you see this as a good thing that Anthony Davis cannot go to the Celtics without Kyrie Irving being included in the deal? Well, let me do some annoying Socratic method here. What do you understand that the purpose of that rule is that you cannot acquire via trade two players on designated rookie extensions. My understanding, my sense is that this is a small market. Hey, I don't like the idea of the Lakers and Knicks being able to load up on these guys. And I don't want these super teams to accumulate when guys like Anthony Davis from New Orleans, it's hard to compete when they're just star chasing or ring chasing with other stars, their friends. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what it is, right? The idea is, well, we don't want these players who, you know, if you're signing that five-year designated player rookie extension, we don't want those players. They're obviously very valuable if they're signing that, unless their name is Andrew Wiggins, to, <laughs> we don't want those, a team in a big market to be able to load up on those sorts of players when they demand a trade. Well, that's really interesting, right? It's supposed to protect small markets. Who's getting screwed over by this rule right now? New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Like, like if they could, if they could trade AD to the Celtics now, number one, like he would have, the Celtics would be willing to throw more in because they would have two playoffs of him. They'd be able to extract maximum offers from the other teams. They wouldn't have to shut him down for the rest of the year, potentially to wait until the Celtics offer. So, I mean, this is just an absolutely asinine rule only hurting the small market not like oh ad well if he the celtics this one destination now he's not going to demand a trade so if it weren't for those big bad celtics the one team that already got it designated there just agitating to get him then he would just stay here in new orleans for the rest of his career right like that's what that rule is saying like oh if we stop them for doing this, he's not going to want to leave like come on right no it's um it's something i actually i don't know when i discovered this like when it started coming out but did you see this rule as being in play for this season? Like, how early did you pick up on it? Like, wait a minute, the Celtics can't really trade for Anthony Davis until the summer of 2019. It occurred to me as soon as they traded for Kyrie, actually, that and I think 
When it really came into focus, though, I don't think anyone was thinking that there would be a trade demand. I think most people felt like the Pels would be good enough this year to forestall him leaving until the summer. You know, the, the, I think the big reason why this trade request has happened now is just how awful the Pelicans have been. And they've been unlucky, too, obviously, both with injuries, although you can argue whether that's luck or, uh, you know, mm. being second class uh, to the football team. But also just in terms of their point differential, they've been a much better team and just have gotten unlucky in close games. So I think that's people thought it wouldn't matter because the trade request wouldn't come until the summer of 2018. Or if there was a trade request or by not signing the player extension, there's no way the Pels would think about moving him until they offered that and he declined it. So, you know, they're the playoffs. Maybe that would be enough. To, I never believed that, but some people probably did. What do you think Dell Demps's future, um, how does that play into this? Like, we've seen Dell trade first-round pick after first-round pick after first-round pick to win now with Anthony Davis. He was probably earlier than most. When he got Anthony Davis, they went for a season without like adding a lot of big names, but then they, they tried to build a team, a playoff team, like when Anthony Davis was what, 20 years old, 21 years old. Seemed yeah. like he was fast tracking things a lot more than your average uh, executive when they get Anthony Davis would. I mean, that's a lot easier said than done, but Dell Demps right now has to decide which direction he wants to go, or maybe this isn't Dell's call. Maybe this is Gail's call, or maybe this is uh, Mickey Loomis, the president of basketball operations, who's a GM of the Saints. Maybe it's his call. But essentially, for someone who might be whose job might be on the line based on what happens with Anthony Davis, isn't that really a conflict of interest? Is that maybe the best play here in the long run? is that they rebuild, they tank, they bottom out, they get the Chris Tapps Porzingis pick, they get Kevin Knox, who's 19 years old, and they rebuild. But then there's this other angle, which is what if we can just trade for the Lakers uh, pick right uh, package right now, and maybe we'll contend better. Of course, the Lakers without LeBron James is not contending at all. But how does this misalignment where the organization uh, has not come out and said, look, Dell Demps is going to be running this this team for the next five, 10 years. We're going to have that in mind the long term. How do you think that plays into what the Pelicans do uh, at this moment? And forget, maybe we, we can talk about it. Seattle, maybe the, the team decides to sell at some point in the future. Maybe that's on Gail Benson's radar is like, let's try to either make this appetizing for a potential uh, buy uh, franchise uh, move over to Seattle, or maybe we want to keep the books as light as possible so that it would be uh, appealing for an owner to come in and say, hey, look, we don't have these huge contracts on the books that might, you know, be really costly for, for an acquisition. What do you think of the future of the New Orleans Pelicans, Dell Demps especially, how that might play out into what package they, they accept? Yeah, a lot to unpack there. Uh, Gail Benson has been adamant in her public comments, although Certainly, you would expect her to say nothing different, that you know, she intends to keep the team in New Orleans, that she views that as part of Tom Benson's or her late husband's legacy, et cetera. Really comes down to what ownership wants. Demps, the idea that he could save his job, I mean, I think the way he saves his job is by getting ownership what they want. So it really, again, goes yep. back to what ownership and what Mickey Loomis wants. This isn't one of those things anymore where it's like, oh, you make the playoffs, you save the, your job, and they're not going to make the playoffs this year no matter what. So if ownership says, yeah, we want to make the playoffs next year, yeah, that's going to obviously change the package. But it really does go back to ownership in those situations. I mean, I think ownership needs to understand you know, when they're placing their GM in this kind of moral hazard 
situation. I don't think you can blame the GM. They are trying to, to yep. save their job. So, yeah, what the package is going to be is interesting. But the beauty of it is Boston can offer in Tatum, Brown, and then some draft picks. You know, that's really what a package would have to be built around. Mm-hmm. They can offer the best package for potentially being competitive now, having exciting players on the floor, and then also potentially being competitive. Drew Holiday, although, you know, who knows whether they'll stick with him or not. Uh, But Drew Holiday, Jason Tatum, you know, that's at least enough to maintain some level of relevance, you would think, uh, in the market if that's what they're going. So that's the appeal of the Celtics package is it's kind of better regardless uh, of where you're going. If you get these 22-year-old players who already have superstar potential, that's better than a draft pick in theory who just, you know, has that potential as well. But we haven't seen them yet in the NBA so I think that that's where that Celtics package comes in as being so enticing and enticing enough that you would shut down and tank, make sure that he doesn't get hurt just so you can get that Celtics package. All right, let's move on from Anthony Davis and that whole saga real quick. What is the most non-Anthony Davis name that intrigues you the most at this deadline? I think it's Mike Conley. Conley has the most trade value. He's going to be 31. He's got a, quite the injury history. He's playing at a near all-star level this season. But remember, he's missed two of the last four years, basically, with the issues in that heel or, or Achilles. But, you know, I mean, I think he's a, a guy who could at least get you a first-round pick and maybe a little bit more than that, maybe a first-round pick and a, a prospect, you know, obviously a nebulous term. The interesting, and you guys brought it up in, on the podcast, was uh, Utah is an interesting destination for Conley. Also, I feel like Indiana, given the backdrop that he's from Indianapolis, went to high school there, was a three-time state champion in Indianapolis, and uh, was second. I love this little detail. He was the runner-up for Mr. Indiana. Do you know who won the Mr. Indiana that year? Oh, it was Greg Oden. I mean, that was one of the greatest high school teams of all time. And I think, I want to say they played AAU with like Josh McRoberts and like Eric Gordon as well. We're all on on that AAU team. That was, you know, one of the best AAU teams ever. I mean, Greg Oden, people forget. I mean, he was, he might've had like the greatest high school career when you combine AAU and, you know, just regular high school of just about anybody. That is interesting to me is what does Indiana do? Because they have six expiring contracts or contract contract years. Basically, they're like almost their entire rotation has expiring deals. So what do you do if you're Indiana, you're a small market team, you have trouble filling the seats already with a team that's one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Do you sell that cap space that you can have this summer and try to get a Mike Conley contract? Because the deal that I proposed And not every deal is perfect. But one thing that's interesting to me is the Houston Rockets getting into this action and trying to fill out their depth by trading uh, their first round picks, Brandon Knight and Eric Gordon, uh, Eric Gordon going to Indiana with Mike Conley and trying to get some of those rotation players because Indiana might say, look, we we need to take these expiring contracts and turn it into a star. Uh, in Mike Conley and both (laughs) Eric Gordon and Mike Conley, obviously big Indiana people. Do you think a Mike Conley and Indiana is a, is a strong possibility and B how do you see Houston loading up at the trade deadline? If possible, how would they would do that? Well, I I do think the Brandon Knight contract would be part of it. I'd be interested to see, you know, what's going back to Houston and obviously Knight is negative value. If he's going to get traded, um, but uh, we can take the Indiana side of this first. With the Victor Oladipo injury, I think most people are feeling like they're not going to try and load up now. I mean, they do have Oladipo under contract going forward. They do have Miles Turner on what's looking like it'll be a pretty decent 
extension at 18 million a year and they got Sabonis and then they'll have, you know, around 45 million or so in cap room and they, you know, Thaddeus Young, Bogdanovich, Corey Joseph. I mean, those are probably the guys that they would most be interested in re-signing. I actually think that you might as well just go for it with Conley now anyway, because if you think about it, Conley was playing at a better level than Victor Oladipo before Victor went down. So if you could get Conley, maybe you're right back where you were and, you know, not necessarily a favorite in an East first round series, but you, you get into the playoffs, you can at least give him a tough series. And then hopefully Oladipo comes back next year. And then you compare Conley and Oladipo. I do think the idea while we can talk about Conley as being a bad contract and he's it's certainly risky with his age and injury history, comparing him on, you know, what's basically a two year, $65 million deal. That's probably better than a team like Indiana or Utah might get with their cap space and free agency. Yeah. The Pacers have about 45 million. So I understand wanting to move him. You would think that DeMontis Sabonis would have to be in that deal, potentially a first round pick as well. It depends what the Grizz think of Sabonis. If they move Gasol as well, they would have a spot for Sabonis to jump into at center. You can see him being a decent combination with Jaron Jackson and his mobility and shooting ability. The Houston component to me, uh, I, I do think that the idea of trading their first rounder and Brandon Knight, who's basically 15 million in dead salary that goes through next year to try to get back player or players who can play for them in their rotation this year. One that's been discussed is Knight for Kent Bazemore, you know, a guy who's also overpaid, but is still way better than Knight and you know would help them these next two years. I'm not sure that they would want to give up Eric Gordon, who also is under contract at a good number. So let me interrupt you here, Nate, and just give you what I was looking at. The trade that I kind of worked up is Eric Gordon to the Pacers, along with Mike Conley and Shelvin Mack. I know this is just an Indiana, just uh, pandering to the Indiana Pacers here, but Memphis Grizzlies get Darren Collison, his expiring contract, Brandon Knight, Marquise Chris and Houston's 2019 first round pick and 21 first round pick. Uh, the Houston Rockets get Thad Young, Tyreek Evans, Corey Joseph and Kyle O'Quinn to round out their roster. As I was saying, I, I think Indiana could still benefit from trading for Conley. I don't know if they see it that way with the uh, old depot having gone down. But to me, Houston, you're giving up a, a first round pick. You are getting off of night, which is solid. But I think the Pacers are just getting so much better of that deal with Gordon and Conley. I think Houston's 2019 and 2021 first rounders, they're supposed to be pretty good. You have to take on bad salary and night as well. So you think of that as sort of eliminating one of those first round draft picks. So now you're just basically getting one late first round draft pick worth of value for Mike Conley. You know, I don't think that that's particularly compelling to Memphis. But and they then get off the Con- yeah. Conley contract. I mean, I think that's a yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah, but, uh, you but find I, I a mean, taker and, for the Conley yeah. contract. Whether it's rational or not, Memphis is going to be expecting more for Conley uh, than something like that. And then, But I think actually where it really breaks down is Houston because Eric Gordon is just so important to what they do. And he's under contract for next year as well. I mean, you could have some bird rights uh, on Young, uh, on you know Evans. I don't think they have a ton of interest in. Joseph is kind of too small to fit into their switching scheme. So I, I think Gordon to me is more valuable in their scheme with his deep shooting and his ability to switch defensively because he's so strong than a, a lot of those players. And you're giving up two first round picks to not even have that big of an upgrade uh, and get guys who aren't even under contract for next year. So that's where I think that one kind of breaks down for me personally. What about Marcus Soul? Where does he end up at this deadline? And it could be Memphis. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's the most likely outcome. His player option for $25 million next year throws a little bit of a, a wrench into it. You know, he can wield that as, as maybe a way to get out of having to go somewhere he doesn't want to go. Or he could end up, a team could view that as a negative if he opts in to at $25 million. The big issue there is, you know, who are the suitors? I think we did move him to Charlotte in that mock deadline. But outside of that, I mean, who, what teams that are actually trying to win now, would he be an upgrade? So, Nate, we just talked about Mike Conley and where he might go. I'm confused because I think Marcus Saul could help some teams. I just don't know if there's a trade partner that has the right combination of need as well as picks and salary. That's the hard thing is I just don't know if Marcus Saul is going to be moved at this deadline or if he waits until this summer as kind of like a backup option for teams. Yeah, his player option complicates matter as well for $25 million. He could, in both directions, right? He could pick that up you know, if he were to get hurt or something. That's potentially negative value for a team. Or he could opt out and go away from that team. So I think outside of that, the two issues are, number one, there just aren't that many teams that need center. I mean, Charlotte is probably the most logical option there, assuming that they're still trying to win. But uh, issue number two is for non-star players, and Gasol is a big name, but I think that's where he is at this point in time. We haven't seen teams get a ton of value for those players on expiring contracts. And Gasol, in some ways, is worse than an expiring contract. Because he has that player option that, you know, he's going to do what's right for him there. So uh, he could end up opting in if he gets hurt or, or, you know, just leaving you. So we haven't seen that there's really even good first round pick value for a guy like Gasol just in exchange for an expiring contract. Probably what the conception of that deal would have to be is Gasol and then some bad salary for 2019 coming back. And that's how you get to that good first round pick value. I don't know that Gasol by himself has enough of that, especially for a team, you know, Charlotte being an example who, yeah, okay, they'd love to make the playoffs, but they're not really good enough to where it's like, oh man, Marcus Gasol is going to put us over the top for a championship. So do you really, if you're not that good, do you want to give up your first round pick when you, in theory, might not even make the playoffs even with Gasol? Like that's really dicey to do. So, and then you talk about, okay, if that's the return, is Memphis really going to want to trade him? They're going to get some negative PR from trading a franchise icon. Right. So that's why I believe the most likely scenario is he ends up staying put. What about other teams? Any other teams that intrigue you? Nate Duncan, uh, cap expert, uh, dunked on podcast host, king of the nerds. Any other teams that uh, that interest you at the deadline that you're just like, ooh, I want to see what they do. Philly is clearly the one that they are probably, Philly and Portland actually would be the two, right? I mean, whether... We're talking about teams that would be willing to upgrade. Those are the two that strike me as, okay, they would actually be willing to throw in a first-round pick to try to improve. Because they're deadline. on like the marginal benefit is high, right? Like the yes. the ability to upgrade from the second tier Philly. I think we both agree that Philly and Portland are both in the second tier of championship contenders, that they can vault into that first tier. I don't know if Portland can, but I think Philly – you know, at least in the East, could get into the conversation with those other three teams. And it's interesting you mentioned the marginal benefit, the marginal benefit in the standings, but also I think for those teams, the marginal benefit in upgrading from subpar rotation pieces, in particular Philly, their top four is awesome. Wilson Chandler, their fifth starter, is probably more of a bench guy. So how nice would it be able to be to move him to the bench, get you know maybe even multiple rotation pieces 
even if they are on expiring contracts, you could still re-sign those guys in theory. And then, I mean, because their pieces just don't fit. McConnell is a decent player, but he can't really play with Simmons in the playoffs because neither of them can shoot. Guys like Cork Maz or Landry Shamet, those guys could do some stuff in the regular season as shooters, but have some real defensive limitations. They desperately need someone else who can defend on the wing. They could really use one more shooter as well with some size. Backup centers. Another. I mean, they have three or four rotation slots that really just are not playoff ready right now. And then they also are in this situation where they have to get Jimmy Butler to resign in theory, if they decide they want to move forward with him on a big contract. So all of that, you know, both being able to move up in the standings and improve their roster incrementally uh, is really good. And then Portland, I think, again, they're sort of reaching a crossroads here with this Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum group, they've got three real good guys between those two guys and Nurkic, but they desperately need one more guy who can shoot and defend his position as well to take away that trapping that New Orleans was so successful with when Portland shooters just couldn't beat New Orleans when they were left open. Yeah, and then Portland also has that ownership question is what direction they want to go in. Yeah. Um, is with uh, the unfortunate passing of of Paul Allen, how, how that affects matters, uh, both in, in new Orleans and, uh, Portland, there's just, um, the, the late Tom Benson, what, what happens with the direction of that franchise and Portland too, is what happens there. Um, you know, I, I think for years people have been, and I, and I stump for this too, is a Kevin Love, CJ McCollum swap, um, where, they don't go from three stars to four stars, but uh, they do get some contract or some cost certainties with Kevin Love, who's also a Northwest guy. Um, and then CJ McCollum goes home, McCollum goes home to, to Cleveland. That's an interesting swap. I don't know on the fringes, the margins of like the, the sweeteners that go into that deal for Portland, what that looks like. I think Cleveland would want, you know, uh, Zach Collins in that deal. And, I feel like we know what Portland is. We know what their ceiling is. We've seen it the last several years with CJ McCollum and Dame Lillard. And I do think that uh, Yusuf Nurkic is one of the most improved players in the league, but I still think they need some sort of change um, to, to shake things up. Maybe it's okay. Maybe it's, if you want to be the Atlanta Hawks of, you know, the, the late, uh, you know, 2010 or the early 2000, uh, I'll just say the, the Joe Johnson Hawks, like, that's okay. I guess for a small market team, if you're going to be in the playoffs every year, and even if you get swept two years in a row, um, maybe that's okay. You don't have to contend for a championship. But Is I, that okay for Dame Lillard? That's a great question, is whether Dame Lillard is okay with that. He has been so good about not breaking down the door and saying, hey, if you don't make a championship team, I'm out of here. He hasn't done that. He's from the get-go, has always said he wants a championship in Portland, that he's not going to be one of these ring chasers. I just wonder how that's going to play if he's again an early out in the playoffs and what he, that does to what he thinks uh, his future is going to look like. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that love one, you know, I think CJ, given his contract, is actually, you know, he's younger. He's more valuable than love to me. I think you mentioned the cost certainty. And yeah, you are definitely certain to pay Kevin Love uh, $30 million when ever. he's 34 years old. <laughs> so, Forever so and ever, there, yes. Yeah, that is true. It, it, pretty much any guarantee contract, you can offer cost certainty. That is, yes, that Andrew is an Wiggins, argument. come on down. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think that's, a, I don't know that Cleveland is that interested in CJ. Maybe he would be rerouted to a third team. I, I do think that Love, you know, I, I, the problem there is that he's been so injury prone and he hasn't even proved that he 
he's healthy yet again this year. And these playoffs, of course, are, are paramount for Portland. So, I mean, maybe you could say that Portland, and, and I think, you know, maybe the Cavs are in that same situation where they're just not realistic about what's available for Love. They probably think, oh, if he's playing again, then, you know, he's going to be an asset on that extension we signed him to. I disagree. I think he's one of the worst contracts in the NBA going forward. But you could, So, but I mean, maybe you could see Portland as being an interesting Love team just to say, all right, we'll send you back some contracts that expire in the summer of 2020 and we'll give you a draft pick. And, you know, that would be enough uh, to, uh, to, to get Kevin love and maybe, you know, hit love CJ and Dame would be an interesting combo. I mean, I really worry about love defensively at this point in his career, but you know, that, I think that would be an upgrade for Portland in the short term. And, and love obviously is from Oregon as well. Now, what is the Philly deal that you like? Because I've I've kind of floated the a- Atlanta with Kent Bazemore and Dwayne Dedman yeah. as a as a logical fit. Bazemore is a little trickier because his salary goes into next year, and even with Jimmy Butler still on the books, if they moved on from Marco Fultz, they could have thirty million in space. I don't think they'd want to eat into that with Bazemore's eighteen million. Now, I do think that's a reasonable conception, though of hey, maybe we can find a guy who fits so well and is under contract for a while that we'd be willing to trade for him. I think they should look at that. But I just I don't think Bazemore is quite good enough uh, or under contract for long enough. I mean, basically what they need is the exact guy that they had to trade away to get Butler in Covington, someone like that who's under contract going forward at a reasonable number. And, you know, I think you would be willing to give up a pick there. I just think Bazemore, his contract's both a little bit too expensive and a little bit too short there. Deadman, I absolutely think they would have interest in. That's a, a deal that we did in the mock deadline. Uh, you know, I think Jeremy Lin could be someone who would be a better fit at backup point guard for them as well. Another guy that I think Philly could target maybe is Torian Prince, if they believe that he could be in their rotation immediately. He's a under cross. Certainly Atlanta seems to have soured on him. And then the other guys I might look at for Philly would be guys who are finishing up very cheap contracts right now and would be going into restricted free agencies. So the two that came to mind there for me are Roddy Magruder in Miami mm-hmm. and uh, Dorian Finney-Smith in Dallas. It's a big risk to trade a lot of assets for guys like that who just aren't names and are guys who are undrafted. But, you know, those guys are cheap. They would have a really small cap hold this summer, so you can still build on top of them and then re-sign them after you you – use your cap space uh, in restricted free agency. So, but would they be willing to give up a first for a guy like that? You know, they might view that as risky. I think that would be a good gamble personally. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they need some serious help on the wing, uh, some shooting, uh, big number came out this week about how Ben Simmons against really good teams. Uh, they, their offense is rubbish. I don't know why I That's turned British there. Um, but <laughs> here's the offensive rating against the top, uh, you know, the top teams and the arbitrary mark I had there was 600 win percentage and above. Indiana actually is currently thrown in there too. But against those 600 teams, Ben Simmons' offensive rating when he's on the floor, the Sixers' offensive rating with Ben Simmons on the court is 99.9. So in 12 games, they're 3-9 and nine against those top teams, and they can't score better than the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, and I think a lot, you know, Simmons has his limitations, obviously, but a lot of that is just who he's playing with. I mean, if he, if you have him and Embiid as your two worst shooters on the floor, as opposed to Ben Simmons and 
TJ McConnell or Markel Fultz or Jonah Bolden, then now you're running into trouble. Simmons certainly has his limitations. He's part of that. But I think that says more just about the fit of the guys that they're forced to run out there with Simmons. Right. And I think that is um, even more paramount that they have to get some shooters around him. And he's so good in transition. Like he's so good at pushing the pace. uh, And that works really well in the regular season. When the game slows down, he's not able to just get those defensive rebounds and just push like LeBron James on a fr- uh, uh, like a freight train and go down the court. Sometimes he gets a little out of control there. But I think that's um, that makes it all the more imperative that they get more shooters around him. And so it's not so much a liability that he can't get out and transition as much because um, I think he's an elite defensive player. His ability to switch, he's young, but I think he's a lot better than people give him credit for. But I do think it's it's. Uh, pretty, pretty important for Elton Brand, the GM of the Sixers, to make a move at the deadline to try to upgrade the rotation around uh, their big three there. So, uh, yeah. Nate, anything else you want to uh, plug or mention before we go? Yeah, just check out the Dunked On podcast. Uh, we're, we'll be wrapping up the trade deadline, of course, uh, when that occurs. Then I also do the NBA cast, which is a second screen experience uh, during NBA games where uh, uh, my partner Daniel Lure and I do play-by-play that's got it more analytically focused, more X's and O's focused. So you, and you kind of think of Strauss. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. Ethan. Strauss was on there uh, as a guest uh, last week. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's a lot of fun to do. And we're hoping eventually we can transition that into kind of being official second screen with the, with the feed right now. We're kind of uh, – you know, working as outsiders, but hopefully uh, if you're really into uh, hardcore analysis, uh, it's something that would be worth it for you to uh, go through the barriers to entry and, and sync up with us. All right, man. Well, have a great weekend and thanks so much for joining the Haber show again, everybody. If you haven't uh, subscribed to all that Nate Duncan is doing on a regular basis, he said it, we're kind of outsiders, but he makes you feel like an insider that you know everything (laughs) there is to know about the NBA. So I appreciate you, Nate, uh, for coming on. My pleasure, Tom. That'll do it for this episode of the Haber Show podcast. I'd like to thank Nate Duncan for joining us. Uh, You can find him at NBA on Twitter. Go there and find all of his great stuff. He is uh, super smart, um, and you'll be smarter for it. Uh, So also, before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This Haber Show podcast would be a great help. Uh, be a pal and go do that. Um, leave any sort of review, positive or negative, it's okay. Either way, you will have a positive plus minus, I promise you, in life. Um, until next time on the Haber Show podcast. <laughs>